All right. Well, good morning. It is great to be in front of you guys. We've had a crazy weekend with our students. I was able to be a part of some of that. I don't know how much sleep, sleep you got last night, but I probably didn't get as much. We had 14 high school boys in our room, in our house last night, and it was it was wild. And so about three this morning, I was really contemplating my decisions whether or not we should have had hosted for the high schoolers. And so this morning, what I want to do is we're going to continue our series into the, the wilderness, into the quiet place, as Daniel t- talked about. And so this morning, what I want you to do is if you are a person that really at times is frustrated with your Christian walk, this message is for you. There's times you feel like you are just kind of going through the motions and maybe your own life is not what it seems it should be. This is for you. This should have covered most of us by now. But what I want to do is kind of give you kind of a roadmap of where we're going to be heading this morning so that some of us like this, some of us like to know kind of the plan, okay? And so I'm trying to lean into that to to let you know kind of where we're going to be going uh, this morning as we look at God's Word. And so we're going to be in a new passage for the next four weeks, uh, Matthew chapter 4. And so we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus when he went into the quiet place, when he went into the the place where he was able to contemplate the things of his own life. And so we're going to ask kind of three questions this morning. First off, why do we go into the quiet? Second thing is, how often do we need to go into the quiet place? Is it something we just did one time? We did it at camp when we were in 11th grade and we accepted Christ. Or is it something that we continually need to do? Or is it, should we do it multiple times a day? We're going to kind of talk about that and kind of see what Jesus did. And what are we trying to gain from the quiet? In other words, is this what the goal is, is to do spiritual things? Because it seems like it's just another thing to do. And if we're saved by grace, if we're saved by the acts of what Jesus did on the cross, then we need to kind of do work here with what Jesus did. And so we're going to jump right into the first two verses in Matthew chapter 4, as Adam read earlier. There's not a lot to this story. I don't want to get in front of what's going to be talking about next week, but as we start this, there's so much to unpack. And I'm just going to read it for us again. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, right before this, Jesus was baptized. And this was the start of his ministry here on this earth. This was the time when he was coming out. But you would think that it's a time that you would start your public ministry, that you would, you would do something different than this. But Jesus did exactly the opposite. He went back into the quiet place. He went to the place where he was able to glean and listen. It's interesting here. If you look at the fact that he was led by the Spirit, Jesus needed the quiet place. For Jesus, this was about him and starting his public ministry. This was his proving ground. And he was showing up in a tangible way to be with the Father. And there is this weird paradoxical reality that all three members of the Trinity are are here. The Spirit is leading him. He is present. He is with the Father. All of these things are at work here. And so if there's anyone that didn't need to go into the quiet, it probably would have been Jesus. In other words, if he was God, then why in the world did he spend 40 days and 40 nights here? So this proving ground also was to show us that we were able to do this. 
that we're able to live it out. And, and more than that, he modeled the fact that we're able to move past that and that Jesus was victorious. And the person that we can rely on is the very character and nature of who God is. Now, if you look at Luke's account, his is a little bit different. He says that Jesus went in full of the Spirit. That's in verse 1. But after he went into the desert, he came out of the desert and went into Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So the time that he spent there was meaningful. He was changed. He was renewed. He was strengthened in the desert. He left ready to do God's will and to start his ministry. He was able to start his new, quote, job as he started relating with people and ministering to people. And it's interesting here when we talk about who Jesus was and the character and the nature of what he did and what he was going to start to do, he modeled for us that it is possible that we can model our lives after what he did into this quiet place. Obviously, we need to be recharged, we need to be renewed, we need to be reconnected to the Father when we're in the quiet place, but why do we go to the quiet place? Why do we go? Well, we see this morning that he went because he was preparing for what was going to come. He knew that there was a tempting that was going to take place. He knew that there was going to be a hard 40 days and 40 nights of prayer and fasting and being alone with God. Now, this morning, when we look at the own nature of your, of your lives, there's storms in our own lives. And currently, if I was to go even into this room right here, the ones that I know about, we would see that there are some that are very weary and tired. We're heartbroken. There's things in our lives that are messy. And when we start to deal with these things, when we start to look inward and we start to get alone with God, we go preparing for what is going to happen. And so if you're in the middle of the storm, there's refuge. If everything is going great, we want to galvanize that faith so that when you leave here and you go into a hard time of your life, you're able to get through that because you would know that God is with you. This has been a, a wonderful year, the last year that Brenda and I have had, but there's still tragedy in life. And there's things that we could just say, I don't even know what to do with this. God, you're going to have to help me in this. For many, many years, I went to Haiti. and went and did a, uh, did a ministry down there and did a mission trip. And if you know anything about my heart, it was just to see that people would, first off, be their needs would be met. But then beyond that, the fact that the gospel would go forth. When I was in Haiti, I had a friend that we ended up adopting and paying for monthly so he could go to school. And then we eventually uh, were able to help him get, get situated. And it was Johnny. And Johnny, we became many years of, of almost eight years that we sponsored him. He, he actually came back to America with us, stayed with us. And so this year, when, whenever we were just out of the blue, just, just shocked at the fact that Johnny was killed. I think we have a picture of Johnny, and, and I was able to baptize Johnny in the, in, the, in the ocean. 
And one of the most beautiful things about Johnny was the fact that he understood the gospel and understood who this God was and the fact that he didn't have much. He lived on just a few dollars a day, but he was killed by violence from a gang in Haiti. And this was someone that we were close with. We did, we did WhatsApp, we, we, we communicated with him. And I'm not gonna lie, there was times I was like, why did God allow this to happen? Why in the world did God allow the tragedies of life? And then to make things worse, the fact that you found out he was killed for a violent gang that just jumped him and killed him violently. It was almost too much for us to deal with. The missionary that we also have worked with down there, Tony, is in stage four cancer and he's back in America now. And we're praying for healing. We're praying that God would come through. But the fact is, we don't know his outcome. He's in stage four. Life is messy and life is hard. And I look at this situation and I don't know what to do with it. Why do we go into the quiet place? Why do we seek out after God? It's for what's about to happen. So if you're not in the middle of the storm, just know it won't be long before you are in a situation. You are in a place that you have to say, God, I need you because I can't do this. And so just struggling with, those, with that in the back of my mind, Daniel's led me to this, this resource that has been so great. I don't know if you know anything about Daniel. He reads three books a night in his sleep, okay? He's always reading. He's constantly reading. He reads so much, and it's encouraged me to read more. And so one of the, the books that he really got me on was about Paul Tripp, and, and it's just called How People Change. If you have not read that book, it's, it's, it's a little academic, but it's unbelievable because it really deals with the fact. It's been influential in my own life. I don't say that flippantly. This book has been life-changing because it's, it's been able to me process some of the things that I've been dealing with. He says that there's two types of people whenever situations arise, whenever you start to deal with the fact of the crushing reality of how fragile life is. There are two types of people in Jeremiah 17. I'm going to read this, this to you. Verse 5, it says, Cursed is the man who trusts, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person is like a bush in the wastelands. They do not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in the salt lands where no one lives. But blessing is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by, by water that sends out its own roots by the streams. It does not fear when heat comes. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So there's two types of people, the people that cling to the fact of who God is and the ones that question and start to make honest comments, but maybe not be the most helpful. 
And I would like to say that I've always been the one that was planted by streams of water, but the reality is I haven't. But I have this, this whole analogy from Paul Tripp that has been super helpful in my own life, and I just want to share it with you. So he says this, he goes, that there is one thing that you have to start with, and that is the idea of heat. And in other words, our situation is the heat. The tragedy is the heat. The, the divorce is the heat. The loss. The loss of a job. We all have our situation that is just bathed in the fact that there is heat in our own lives. And there's two types of trees that grow out of this. The first one is the one that bears fruit. And they reap good things because they responded with love. And they responded with the fact that they saw God for who he was. The second one is the tree that is rooted in the fact that really questions and doesn't see God in the situation at all. And the, the product is thorns. So there's fruit and there's thorns. And then there's a third part of this, the fact that the cross is in the middle of all of that. I'm just going to make this make sense to you because I think that what we see is we see this analogy and this has been super helpful in the times that we are in the pressing of life. How do I respond with Johnny's death, Tony having cancer? I can see that God is good. And I could see him in the middle of all this, that we live in a fractured, fallen world. And the effects of that is sin. And because of that, there are things that happen in this world. We've been praying for healing. We've been praying for that. But yet we still live in this world. You see God in the midst of the situation. The other one is the, the one that's bearing thorns has no connection to the cross, that looks to your own devices, looks to your own decisions, you don't see God in this situation. They're totally disconnected. See, because really what's underneath here is a root system, a root system that either is healthy or a root system that leads to thorns. This morning, I want you to see this one thing, that when we are in the, in the pressing of life, that our root system connected back to the cross, which is in the middle there, leads us to the fact that God is there and that God is with us through our pain. And that doesn't mean that everything is going to always be great. It's not, that Johnny is still gone. But the reality is that there is a loving God that helps us through this. There's a loving God that is sovereign over all. There's a loving God that can heal Tony. But whatever his instance is, whatever his will is, is better than my own understanding in this. And if you think this is easy to get to, to be where you can process through this, it's not because I think we each probably have grown two trees in our own lives. And we maybe we even vacillate between the ones that where we see God in his goodness and other days that we think that we're 
the king of our own kingdoms. You see, Jesus, as he was there for 40 days and 40 nights, he experienced as he was tempted. Not only did he see who God was, but he also saw the fact that there is an evident person, Satan, that is in the middle of the situation. So why the quiet? It prepares us so that we can grow fruit and not thorns. The time that we spend with God allows us to have hope in our situation. There is hope and power to change in the secret. Power to overcome, power to prepare for the trials that we are about to experience. God is evident. God is there. And so you can fill in the gap about whatever your situation is. You can fill in the gap about how you deal with this in your own life. But the reality is God is there and God is good. When I connect all things back to the cross that God is with me in my, in my pain, in my suffering, there's hope. That is the hardest thing to do as a Christian. So the 40 days and 40 nights, what do we see? We see from the greatest joys to the most crushing circumstances, God understands the full brokenness of the human experience. He lived it. He was there. It was tangible. He was able to walk through life and go through what we went through. To understand that God was 100% man and 100% God is a tall, noble thing to understand. But we see in the fact that he went through it and he understood what we're going through. So that's, that's why. That's why. Why do we go in the quiet? We go into the quiet because we know that the time is coming, the storms of life, the heat will arise. Second thing I want you to see this morning is how often do we go into the quiet? Now this is, if you would just take this story of Jesus in the desert and then you would put the Old Testamental idea of God's people throughout the time that he led them through the wilderness, you would see this one idea is that God was with them for 40 years. But the reality is, is that the trip should have only taken a week. So they went through this, wandering to learn to rely on this God. It goes back to the same idea of relying in the root system that holds it all together. And that was the thing that God was trying to teach them, was trying to show them the thing that they were struggling with. And then if you look at the fact that there was a part where they were hungry, and I don't want to get into next week's message too much where Satan tempts, 
But when he says this, when he says, hey, you know, when Jesus said he's hungry and what does Satan do? Do the, do the manna thing, right? Like you did in the Old Testament with those people whenever they were needing nourishment. Just do that thing. And what's interesting is, is that if you, if you go back and read that in Deuteronomy, you will see that there is this, this story about how this bread was only good for one day, this manna, whatever that was. You couldn't pile it up. It had to be fresh every day. The spiritual principle here is, how often do we go into the quiet? It needs to be a part of our lives every day. Now, there's different durations that we go into the quiet. Some days we will go, as Jesus did, many, many, much longer than other times. But the principle is this. There needs to be a normal rhythm that we are with God. We're seeing God. It needs to be a part of our daily lives. I did student ministry for 23 years, and this was the one thing that I always heard was, I just don't feel like, I just don't feel like God's doing anything in my life. I think as adults, as I live longer, I realize that that same question has to be asked. I just don't see God at work. Let me just tell you that the daily rhythms are not somehow to win God's approval, but they're here for us so that we can prepare ourselves to be able to see God. So how often? Every day. Deuteronomy 2.7, he says it like this, the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work in your hands. He has watched over you, your journey through the vast wilderness these 40 years, the Lord, your God, has been with you, and you have been not lacking anything. So God was there in the reproving part of our own lives. God was evident in the wilderness. God was a part of that. So making God a part of our lives and our rhythms every day it's really where I want to camp out with and really talk about because I think that is the part that we all have to come to grips with. So the third thing we're going to talk about this morning is what are we trying to gain in the quiet? Are we supposed to just do more? Is this somehow adding more to our, our view of how God views us? Dallas Willard says it this way. He says, the greatest need facing the world today is whether those who are Christians will become disciples, apprentices. In other words, there is an American idea that we just made a decision, and that's it. But see, there is a calling for us to be much beyond that, where we learn to become apprentices or disciples of who God is. We are following after him. Hear me when I say this. The purpose is to position ourselves in the place to know and hear who God is in the power of the Spirit. So information alone isn't enough to produce transformation. 
Say that again, because I think that right there has a lot of weight. Information alone isn't enough to produce transformation. There has to be some more buy-in to see the full reality. It's another way that anything else you would see the same thing. If you just show up to the game and you have it practiced, now you have might have natural abilities, but what you will find is that when you, when you have reps, when you work through what the opponent's team and the defense looks like, you are going to perform so much better. You're in rhythm. There's reps. So this life-transformating thing is us positioning ourselves to hear from God. Disciplines are practices. Spiritual disciplines are things you do. They are not character qualities. They are not graces. They are not the fruit of the Spirit. They are the things that we do so that we can hear from God. And so if we just rely on Sundays, if we just come to church, there's a good chance that that will not be enough. By adopting not just the teaching of Jesus' practice of his own life, we open up our entire being to God to allow him to transform us so that we could truly say that God is good in every single circumstance. So Dallas Willard then goes on, he, he gives 14 different categories of what is a spiritual discipline and how do I even start in that? And he gives this really long list that's exhaustive. Other people, they put some of these categories together. So there's not like some really set defined understanding of what they are, but I'll just read some of them. And we're going to, to look at two of them because it was the two that Jesus dealt with when he was in the desert. Solitude. It's the time you spend alone with God. Turning off the noise. Daniel talked about this a few weeks ago. And just sitting in solitude. The second one is fasting. Probably because that's the hardest thing for us to do is to go without food. And so when we replace that with seeking after God, God shows up. The third thing is denial. You're denying yourself of things that you normally should do to see the supremacy of who God is in your own life. The fourth thing is sacrifice, secrecy. Some of these, I'm like, I don't do these. I need help. Simplicity, silence. And then there's seven more that he gives of activity, things that you actually engage with, and that is study, worship, prayer, fellowship, submission, service, and witnessing. So you see that in all of these things that God, they're not some special formula, but what it is is they're intentional things that we're able to do, activities that we're able to do every day, and rhythms that we could create to see God in new ways. I participated in a fast years ago with my church for a week. 
right? And so I was on staff at a church, and we didn't eat for a week, and it was crazy because, of, you know, staff meeting Wednesday, we were all yelling at each other and screaming as we were detoxing, but by the end of the week, we saw the, the things of who God was. Every day we had worship, every day that we saw who he was. Let me just tell you a little bit about solitude real quick, and we just look at solitude and fasting because those right there are the two that Jesus dealt with in the wilderness. So years ago when I was in seminary, I never forget, I worked downtown in Fort Worth at, at a, I was a graphic designer at a place and I came out and my truck was there and the windows were broken and it, my radio was gone. So obviously putting myself through seminary, I didn't have much money. So I had money to put glass back in the truck, but they have money to put a new radio in the truck. So I drove around for a month without a radio. Now that seems like, oh, it's, you know, American problems. First off, I, I realized how much my truck was falling apart, all the noises that it made. But then beyond that, I saw in solitude that I took that time and practiced seeing who God was. Me not speaking, the busyness that we have, how we're constant bombarded with notifications, turning all of that off and was going after the audience of one. Let me just tell you that at times, that quietness was so loud. I had such a hard time turning that stuff off. I didn't realize just how my life was so filled up with things and constantly being consumers of stuff, but just to sit in silence. So somebody stole my car radio and I sat in silence. And the fact that I was able to deal with who I was in front of God was a whole new discipline that I have to live with and see that so much more in a new way. I just want to encourage y'all, if there is a time that you can unplug and that you can see God in the solitude, see him in the silence, not everything has to be a Bible study. It's an American idea. Daniel said it the other day, it's brilliant. The fact that we sometimes think, you know what you need to do? You need to take that class. You need to sign up for this and you sign up for that. Sometimes we just need to in our own time with God, develop these disciplines so that we could hear and know who God is in the normal routines of life. Finding him in the solitude, finding him in the silence, you will find who you are in front of God because there's nothing else going on. And quickly you will be able to be in awe more of who he is in his presence. And we're able to see the fact that God speaks so much more in the Psalms. The second one is fasting. So fasting is a biblical way to humble ourselves before God and replace the times when we normally would rely on the food and we would replace that. We, our church did that a little over a year ago and we're planning on doing another church-wide one here, where we, we give resources towards those things. The fact that we want to do is see God, not only at the group level, but at the individual level, we see God have all sorts of breakthroughs because we are relying on God and replacing the fact. And so if we want to do it 
for any reasons that are outside of ourselves. It's interesting how our bodies are obviously created by God because if we do it to try to lose weight, if we try to do it to gain anything besides that, it just doesn't work because once, once we come off of it, we go right back to exactly the way we were. God had an intention for fasting. Jesus says, when you fast, he doesn't say if you fast. He says, when. And so this has been an area that I, I don't fast a lot. I want to be able to see God in the true essence of who he is. I want him to get past the noise. There's a great book by Dr. Daniel Whitehead called The Digital Fast. Maybe you're like, I don't know if I could start with food because there's something going on in your life. The book just came out called The Digital Fast, and it's just turning off the things in your life that are digitally related, a.k.a. most of it revolves around your phone. He goes on to make this argument. I think it's, it's pretty awesome because we've almost gotten to the point in our society that we've replaced some of the attributes of who God is with our technology, right? So some of the attributes of who God is his omniscience, his omnipotence, his, uh, his omnipresence. If you think about it, search engines, how we have the, the ability to access anything at just any kind of moment, notice. His presence, how we're able to connect with anyone, anywhere in the world. These are, these are issues that nobody else has ever really dealt with. The fact that we were able to overnight something or even go into all of the worlds of the carnal side and pornography. What you'll see is, is that it's easy with our digital lives that we live to replace God completely and just mindly scroll. I'm encouraged by this quote from Martin Luther, the great reformer. He says this, he says, I have so much to do that I shall spend at least three hours in prayer or I won't get it done today. I find that quote extremely, I mean, did you really have? I was born, born in the 1490s. I just, I, I, I don't see it. I'm not discrediting his schedule, but I am saying we have so much going on. We're able to see the fact that whenever we lean into these disciplines, when we lean into knowing who God is, he shows up in a tangible way. My prayer for us this morning is this one thing right here. If we are going to see God and be a church that truly is and, and understands the deep things of God and reaching our community, then we have to put in the work. We have to put in the practice so that we can see God for who he is. You know, if we went back to that, that graphic that we had up earlier and we saw the two different types of trees that we can produce and really the third tree, Jesus on the cross. My question as we wrap this thing up this morning is this right here. If we were to be honest, Where are you in this situation? Have you found God and his goodness in the hard things? 
Are you able to see in your own proving ground, just as Jesus went through his own, who God is? Is your root system tied to this God? Or has it been about the way you've perceived things or how you were done wrong or how you know best? In your own power, you're going to find that ultimately we don't have a lot of control over our lives. The fact that God does, maybe we should build root systems towards him. That are, those are those daily disciplines that we have to seek out and find who this God is. Number one thing I heard from teenagers was this for so many years. I feel like my prayers just hit the ceiling. They don't go anywhere. Let me tell you, we build a root system and we're in tune with God. We galvanize our faith so we can get through this life together because he's in the everyday. He's in the quiet. He's in the, he's in the pain. He's in the times that things are going well. This is how people change. They grow that root system and their dependency. On who God is. Do you before we close? He says it like this. Come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble and hearty, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. God, I just pray, Lord, that as we look to the wilderness for you and for your answers, God, there, there would be a dependency that develops through these spiritual disciplines. Not so we're gaining favor with you or trying to earn our way to heaven. God, we know that you did everything and you're sufficient. God, teach us to trust. Teach us to love you. Be in a, the daily rhythms of life we see your goodness even when it doesn't make sense God tonight this morning whenever it is God I just pray after a great weekend with the teenagers to see them renewed and restored God I pray that you would be restoration to us as the adults in this room God, I pray if there's someone here this morning that is struggling with that path to, to obedience, maybe they don't know you. Maybe they realize that it's all thorns because there's never been the reality of who you are and what you did for us. For we could never 
repay that. But you paid it for us. God, in your sovereignty, in your, in your grace, pray that you bring healing. I pray that morning that want to hear the great news of your gospel, I pray that right after we get finished here, that they would find a leader at the back. Maybe they're just going through a hard time of life. God, I pray that this, these steps would just be a place that we can just confess those to you. If we don't know how we're going to get through tomorrow, God, I pray we would just lay it at your feet and say, God, this morning, I want to build that root system. I want to lean into who you are and trust that you're going to bring nourishment, that you're going to bring growth and vitality in the midst of the desert. God, we love you. In your name we pray.